Would you take your Bibles, and we're headed to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and then we're going to be heading over to Hebrews, chapter 11, starting with Ephesians, chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with what happened during the Civil War era, that one of the first battles that was fought was a battle that many people thought this war is going to go really quick. So a lot of the people who were living around Washington and that area close to the battle that they first met, the first battle of Bull Run, many of the people even made a Sunday afternoon picnic of it. They went out in their carriages, they took their food with them. They were going to watch the Yanks beat the rebels in this decisive first battle. But many of you all know what happened historically. The Union Army was routed during that battle. The Confederate Army suffered just a third of the casualties, and part of the reason was because the Confederates had much better weapons as a whole than the Union Army. The reason was it fell back to the person who did the purchasing at the beginning of the war when it was just starting to be developed. Colonel Ripley decided that he was going to start stockpiling weapons to get the Union Army prepared for the war. But there was two things that he was concerned about. One was cost, and number two was that the rifles that were the most effective of that day, the more modern rifles, they were being made by British industries. He hated the British. He had just had a deep prejudice, so he didn't want to deal with the British. So instead, he stockpiled a whole bunch of weapons that were still uh, for sale left over from the War of 1812. And so he supplied the Union Army in the first few months with weapons that were antiquated. They were still of that same design from half a century before. The reason, as we said, he was just cheap. The reason was he was prejudiced. And as a result, there's many experts that say he, by those purchases, added almost a year to the war because of how he supplied the Union Army initially with inferior weapons. God doesn't want this to happen to you. God doesn't want you to feel cheap or to go after something that is inadequate. God says, I want to give you an armor in the battle that you're facing. I want to give you the best equipment possible. Now, you and I, we look and we say, shields and helmets and swords, they seem antiquated, but not in a spiritual sense. And so what's happening in Ephesians chapter 6 is he's writing to believers and he's telling them that you're going to have a battle. You're going to have a war. He starts off in verse 10 where we looked at every week. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now it's clear. We've already talked about this. We're in a serious battle. And what he's telling us is that we need to focus on the right weapons. We need to not just get busy doing things, but rather focus our energies on that which will help us to have the ability to fend off satanic attacks. Unfortunately, oftentimes we get just plain busy. We get all kinds of activity going and think activity is enough. Church ministry is enough. Doing this, that, or the other thing and busyness with our family, that's enough. It isn't. The Word of God is very clear that you and I need to focus our energies on those things called the spiritual armor that will help us to have victory. 
I, I was thinking about this as I was reading an account of what they used to do in some of the asylums that used to be in the United States years and years ago, decades ago that they employed a certain test in several of them to determine was the person now of sound mind and reason that they should be released. And one of the tests that was used was the test of flooding the bathroom. And when I read that, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What they would do is they turn on the faucet, they get it so the faucet is overflowing in the sink and the floor is getting all wet from the water that's overflowing. They would say to the client who they think could be released, we want you to go in and we want you to mop up this mess and to clean up the mess in the bathroom. Their thought was if they were sane and reasoning with, a, with common sense, the first thing they would do would... Right? But if they got busy just mopping and mopping and mopping, they still haven't gotten to the point where they're thinking rationally. You know, there are some believers that are all busy mopping up and they haven't yet dealt with the source of what they need to deal with. And so God is saying, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to deal with the most important issues, not just busy work, but number one, you need to be strengthened in His might. And then number two, you need to put on the armor of God. Now, we've been describing what this armor is about. We described already that the first piece of armor that you and I would not pick as the first piece is the belt, is the girdle of truth. And basically, as we've described it, we said that what he's telling the believers to do is you need to be honest. You need to be genuine. You need to be an individual that you say you're committed to Christ. That's true. Examine yourself so there's no hypocrisy. Then we said number two is you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This righteousness is which Christ brings, that he makes possible. In other words, you need to put on Christ-likeness every day. Determine, I am going to have my heart, my feelings, my emotions, I'm going to be dictated to by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Number three, the third piece we talked about last week, the shoeing or the, the sandals of the gospel of peace. The word preparation has the idea of confidence, security, foundation. It's that idea of being absolutely certain that you have peace with God, sure of your salvation. Some would apply it. You need to make sure that you have confidence in God so that you have the peace of God. Some have made this application as well, that you need to have confidence enough to share the gospel. The idea of the shoeing, following from Isaiah 57 with carrying out the message of the gospel. We talked about that last week. Let's pick up today's item. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about the shield of faith. He says in the text, in addition to, our King James uh, says, and above all, literally has the idea, in addition to everything else that's there, what you need to do is you, after you have taken up the shield of faith, in other words, you're doing it, you're picking it up, after you have done that, you will be able to quench the fiery missiles the arrows, the darts of the devil, of the wicked one. And so if we want to understand this a little bit better, do it with me. Let's just ask two simple questions. What was the Roman shield like? Because that's what he's describing as he's sitting in prison and looking at a guard and saying this is an important item. And then number two, what was, what was the shield good for? And number three question, we'll ask three, is what's he mean by the shield of faith? So first of all, let's just describe this thing. Okay, the shield that they're talking about, in the Bible times there was two shields. One was the aspis, which is like Captain America's shield, something small, something round, that you could easily be maneuvering around in hand-to-hand -hand combat. That is not the battle, that is not the, the shield that's talked about this battle. It is more like this. In fact, these are somewhat dwarfed for the original. It is a thurion. 
It is the idea of a piece of, of wood or layers of wood covered mostly often by a leather that they would put on top or maybe metal. And what they would do is this thick piece of wood had a curvature to it. And then it had the boss, the round piece, that could be used. It was a large piece of, of, of defensive weapon. Obviously, we've given you the dimensions, usually about four feet by two and a half feet, big enough that somebody could actually hide behind the whole thing. And so what would happen with this is it was, it was designed this way so that if you're in close combat, that what would happen if a sword would hit you or if they were charging against you, the curvature would release some of that pressure and then you wouldn't take the full blunt of it. And so it was all designed to work together. In fact, this knob in the middle was designed that you could use even in that time. If you could catch your opponent as he's charging and clop him in the head with that knob, that would take him out. And so it was a defensive, offensive, to a lesser degree, weapon that was really effective for the Roman soldiers. And in fact, they, they called it in their writings, it was large enough, they called it the door. And what they would do with this is this thing would, would be unlike every other piece of armor mentioned so far. When we talk about this one, the shield and the helmet, they're not like what you put on every single day and keep on. What I mean by that is this, is the shoes you would put on and you would keep on. The belt you would put on and you would keep on. The breastplate you would be keeping that with you in any time you're close to battle. And there would be moments though that all of a sudden you would say, okay, I've got to grab the shield at a necessary moment or I've got to grab the helmet. They're both nearby, but they're not constantly on your person. And so in that sense, it's almost like a baseball player. Some of you are extremely athletic. Baseball might be your thing. You're always wearing the uniform when the game is going on. You've got the cleats on and you've got the uniform on, but what might you lay aside for a few minutes during the game? Hello? Okay. You're going to lay aside the glove and you'll probably not keep with you the whole time. Have you ever tried to teach a kid to play baseball? They think that this bat is theirs the whole time. Okay, my kids anyway, and they thought the idea was to hit dad with the bat. That's not, we know that's not true. The bat you pick up only at certain times. The shield you'll only pick up at certain times when it's really necessary. And so he's talking about it, and he says, okay, the guys that would use this, it's good for defensive. I've already mentioned this. You'd be able to hide behind there. And you'd get major protection over your whole body by, where, by hiding behind this thing. But it would really be effective even from long distance. If I were hiding behind this shield and you in the balcony had arrows and darts, this would protect me from a long distance or even a longer distance where somebody was across the parking lot and shooting some of those arrows. So this could be used as something I would grab if all of a sudden we experienced some attack that am unexpectedly coming against me. And what he describes in this text is he's talking about these fiery darts, these arrows in particular. And what they would do is they'd take the arrows or the darts and they'd put globs of oil on the, the end of them, and when they would shoot them, they would hit and they would splatter and spread the fire, or more, more effectively, if they could hit the troops, they would all of a sudden splatter this burning oil all over them or spot that, spots of oil that would cause them to be distracted and not be as effective if all of a sudden they were getting stung by these pellets of this oil glob. And so these, effect, these, these shields were extremely effective in defending against that, defending against long-distance attacks or up-front attacks. And so this, this whole idea is, okay, there's moments you're going to be attacked. 
And there's times where you're going to have to all of a sudden be prepared to do something quick because of a temptation that's coming. And at moments you're going to all of a sudden be involved with close-up battle. Well then now you can use this shield and you could connect with others and you could form this wall of defense and you could resist. And the Romans with these shield forces, they were, they were nearly invincible in their time period because they would have this wall of, of armor and shields locked together that typically they had clips on the sides of them that they could actually clip into the soldiers that were next to them and form this more solid wall of defense. So it's a tremendous weapon. Our question is going to be talking about, okay, how is this, how is this of benefit? Well, at times, by the way, you could attack, you could form the tortoise. You've seen this in movies and pictures where they would get together and then they could be working together as a team to advance, to get under the walls uh, and then attack that way. And so it was an extremely effective weapon. My question is going to take us this way. What is the shield of faith? Okay, we understand that it's for protection. We understand it can help us in offensive means. We understand we may be attacked at close battle or long distance, but what does he mean by the shield of faith? That's the question. Is, what is this that I'm to be hiding behind? I think, and this is my understanding of it, I think what he's talking about is trusting God periodically you're going to have to, in the middle of something, and all of a sudden a sudden attack, you're going to have to step over and say, I need to trust you, Lord. I really need to trust you in this trial, in this difficulty, in this temptation more than ever before. I need to exercise greater trust than I have in, on occasions. And the reason we say that is because this idea of faith is very important. Let, let me back up and let me just explain something that all of us are on the same page. Everyone in this room has faith to some degree. You've ex exercised it this morning, correct? Yes, no? Yes. Yeah, you, you, how did you get here? Did most of you come by car? Yes, no? Okay. Did you exercise faith this morning when you got into your car? How so? Okay, when you turned the key. Okay. What else did you exercise faith in? The other drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did, you, did any of you pump the, pump the brakes this morning? What did you hope they do? Okay. You had faith that they would stop you. Okay. When you hit the gas, what did you have faith that it would do? That it would go. And some of you are so mechanically inclined, you can explain how that all works. Some of you don't have a clue, you know, what, what's involved with the starting system. You don't have a clue about, you know, the, the brake lines in the car and the disc and the rotors and all that. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But you still operated your car. Did you have faith this week in the pharmacies? Or at other times? What's, what do we have to have faith in when, we, when it takes the medicine? How are we exercising faith? We're assuming that it's the right one. Okay, we're assuming it's going to... Okay, okay, let's do this. Did you have faith when you turned on the light switch? No? Okay. Did you, did you say, I don't know if it'll work, so I'm just not turning it on all week this week? That's not true, okay? You and I, some of us, we don't have any clue how the electricity works, but we have faith that we flip the switch. And hopefully, we get lights, okay? Do you have faith when you go to the grocery store? How so? The, what's that? 
Now, if there's groceries there, okay? Okay. Do you have faith that the grocers have products that are safe? Okay. You have faith that, that you know, the stuff isn't expired? Okay. You, do, do you have faith when you go to the bank? Yes, no? The doors are closed, okay, but you still, you still are operating. In what way are you having faith in the banks? Okay, you're assuming they're keeping your money safe. You assume it's going to be there when you want it, okay. Do any of you have faith when you go to a restaurant? Some restaurants more than others, yes? Okay, but we have faith. We operate by faith on a, on a regular basis in, throughout our life is he saying just have this idea of faith and faith alone? No. What he's talking about is a faith that is a salvation faith, a trusting faith in God Almighty. What we're talking about is this idea that, that we all have faith and sometimes we base it not on things we fully understand or we see. We, we don't see electricity going through the wires, but we, hopefully we don't see it going through the wires, but we have faith that it's going to be safe to hit the switch. You know, there's, there's times that all of a sudden when, when we have this faith that we operate by that we say, okay, I, I'm going to trust it. I may not understand it, but I'm going to have faith. And yet it's not our faith, the amount of faith that is of the benefit, is of the, uh, is of the blessing. It, it, I can believe when I go to Minnesota, and if I ever visit there in the winter ever again, I'm nuts if I do, but if I go back to Minnesota and visit there, there's times in the year that you can drive a car out on the lake. And they do the snowmobile races and the car races out on the lake. There's other times of the year that the ice isn't thick enough. Like on July 4th, the ice that's still there isn't thick enough to walk on. I might stand there and say, I've got all the faith in the world that that ice on July 4th is going to hold me up, but that's not going to make the difference. I'm going to go through. Why? Because it's not my faith that is going to keep it. It's going to be the object of the faith. The object of the faith is that which, what, you know, what am I relying upon? Is it dependable? I, I might say, now I had this experience. Some of you, you you've never had that. But when I was a teenager, every guy, we got to have a car. And the second car I got was an absolute wreck. We got it out of the junkyard. Actually, it was on its way to the junkyard. And we bought it. And this car was sick. The car was bad. But I believed I could get this fixed. I believed it would run and I could hot rod with the car. I believed with all my heart that this car was going to eventually run. It didn't. But I was sincere. But the object of my faith was kaput. Okay, it was a piece of junk. It needed to be in the junkyard. The, 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 okay, some of you, any of you have a fear of flying? Anybody? Some of you do. Some of you, when we've gone on trips overseas or whatever, on missions trips, some of you, I, you left your handprint in those, in those arms of those chairs. They're never coming out. It was your first time flying. Because you were afraid and you didn't have complete faith, did it keep the plane on the ground? No. No. The, it's not the amount of our faith. It's not us that determines is this thing reliable? It's not if do I understand it. It's all about what is the object of our faith. Is it, is, am I relying on something that is reliable? Well, that's what he's talking about in this text. He's talking about this idea that you need to trust in God. Not in yourself, not in your wisdom, not in your abilities, which for some of you, they are profound. 
They are amazing what you know, what you can do, and how talented you are. But he's saying, no, no, in the battle, you need to be running to the Lord. You need to be trusting in the Lord. You need to be looking to him because he is the object of faith that is strong enough. You may not see him. You may not understand everything about him, but you need to be trusting in the Lord over and over and over and over again. John Patton was there in, the, in New Hebrides, or what we used to call the Pacific Islands, and as he was working amongst the cannibals, he was translating the New Testament and he came to the word believe, the word faith, and he struggled because he couldn't get a word in their language that made sense to explain what is belief. And so one day he's working and his servant came in that he was working with and that man, as he sat behind his desk, he looked at the man and he said, I need a word to describe the English word faith about trusting and his servant said, well, I, you know, let me think. What word might we use in my native tongue? And then it came to Patton. He said, okay, I'm, what am I doing with my chair? And he said, well, you're resting on your chair. And he picked up his feet, so it was just his whole weight on his chair. He said, what do you describe? What is the phrase for this? And he says, putting your whole weight upon. And there was a word that meant that. That was the word that Patton used for faith, for trust, Putting your whole weight upon. When you're tapped, when you're tempted, put your weight upon God. Turn to the Lord God time and time again. Now we're not talking about getting born again. That's not what the shield of faith is, is talking about. It can't be. He's talking to people. If you look in Ephesians 1, he calls them saints. If you look at Ephesians 2, he said that you have been saved by faith, past tense. These people are already born again. These people have already trusted Christ. And yet he's telling them, you need to put on the shield of faith. You need to pick it up periodically. He's not saying you lost your salvation. He's not telling them that you could, you could all of a sudden lose it and come. In fact, look it. Go back a couple chapters. Go back to chapter, uh, let's go back to chapter 3. Okay? No, let's go back to chapter, chapter 1. Do you ever have these brain dead moments? I do want chapter 3. Okay? <laughs> No, I don't. I want chapter 1. Whoever did these slides did it wrong. Okay? He did it while he was under COVID. That's why. COVID, COVID brain. Okay, look at the end of verse 13. He's saying to those individuals, you have been sealed by the what? By the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he makes this comment. You have been sealed by the Spirit, which is the what? What's he call it in verse 14? I have earnest. What do you have in your translation? The guarantee, the word is Erebon. It is the idea of a down payment. It is the idea of giving an engagement ring. It is the idea that this is God's guarantee to you, the Spirit, that you are saved. You can't lose it. You are sealed by the Spirit. He's not writing to them, you need to get saved over. That's not what he's talking about with the shield of faith. What he's talking about is this idea of trusting God more and more, living, living by the word of God and saying, God, I'm going to rely upon you. I'm going, to, I'm going to trust you. It is where he's writing. And the text that we've been talking about in, in uh, 1 Peter, where he talks about your adversary, the devil, is coming against you. Do you remember the previous verse? The previous verse that talks about casting your cares upon him for he cares for you. That's the previous verse. 
And then he goes on and he talks about the idea of your de the devil is coming against you. Do you ever have problems where you wonder, is God really care? He says, Satan's coming this way. He's coming against you. At those moments, you need to do what he wrote elsewhere, that we need to remember those exceeding great and precious promises that you are partakers and you add to your faith, that you increase your trust it, this idea of trusting the Lord comes from the Old Testament and is repeated the same phrase multiple times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. The justified, those who are born again, are going to live by trusting God more and more and more. This idea of trusting God isn't like, well, I hope so. I just hope things will get better. I, I, I don't mean to, you know, diss some of the country western in total, but country western music for the most part is very thematic. That's very simple. You lose your job, you lose your truck, you lose your dog, you lose your gun. Okay? And if you play the song backwards, you get your wife back, your truck back, your gun back, and your dog back. That, we're not talking about that type of faith. We're not talking about this wistful idea that's more. We're talking about, when we talk about faith, what Hebrews talks about, which he says that it takes an outstanding person, the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Go there for a few moments with me. Hebrews chapter 11, where he's talking about this type of trust. I want you to catch where, he, where in Hebrews chapter 11, go down to verse 38, and you will see that phrase, the just shall live by faith. Quoted again from the Old Testament, starting with Habakkuk, where he says, you who are just, you need to live by this faith, this trusting God more and more. And then what he does in the beginning of Hebrews, he describes what living by faith, as a believer, what it's about, what it, how it goes. He makes it very clear that in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word is literally, it is the confident assurance that what I hope for is a reality. I have confidence. I am absolutely convinced that there is a heaven. I'm absolutely convinced that there is a God who is answering my prayer. I'm absolutely convinced that he cares for me. That's faith. That's the faith he's talking about. And he goes on and describes it a little bit more. He says in the next phrase, he says, for the evidence of things not seen, the word is to give testimony in court to declare this is the truth, that you have such confidence in God, you are testifying, you are giving evidence to other people that this is a reality, that I really, really believe, therefore I'm going to live in such a way. And then he goes on, he says in chapter, chapter 11, down in verse 2, for by it the elders obtained a good report. He says as well in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. The point is, faith is needed to please God, to experience his blessings. This trusting the Lord. So he's given us some of those basic ideas. And then he's added to it, okay, what, what else is involved in this faith? What am I thinking? Well, he says, for he that comes to God, verse 6, must believe that he is. I have this trust in God that God is. This is where you're supposed to be. When I say I, I mean all of us. We're to believing God is. He is alive. He is, he is there. He is beside me. He hasn't forsaken me. Then he talks about this idea as you go a little bit further in verse 3. We'll back up. And he talks about this faith, this confidence through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, we believe that not only God is, but we are trusting and believing that God can. That God can do what? 
hey, he, by, the, by his words the world were, was made. Therefore, what's the limitations on God? There is none. There is none. That we are trusting in a God who can do whatever. And then we make this other conclusion here that says this, that in verse 6, back to verse 6, the last half, for he that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's add this, that God cares. That God cares enough that he is watching us, he is going to reward us, that he is going to, going to have fellowship with us, he cares for us. This is the trust that Paul is, recall, is talking about. He's saying you need to run to this belief that our God cares in the middle of the moments that it just seems impossible. That our God will give me the strength when I don't feel like I can go any further. That my God will supply my needs when Satan is trying to tell you to be dishonest and to cheat because you're, you're out on a limb financially. You need to be trusting in the Lord and realizing that God is there, that God cares for me, that God can do whatever I need to strengthen me. He can give me the grace that I need to go through anything. And I believe that, he says. I want you to believe that. And I want you to pick up that type of faith moment by moment when you're attacked, when you're struggling, when there's battles in your life. Even when things seem difficult. Okay, we play these games with the little kids. We do unsafe things with little kids. Yes, no? Throw them up in the air. What do we plan on doing? Catching them. Okay. And so it's a little bit scary, okay, for that child. That child's eyes get big when they're thrown in, up in the air. But what do they have confidence in? That you're going to catch them. Okay? And they have such confidence, what do they say? Do it again. Do it again. Swing me around, you know. Make some of my brains rattle through my skull. That child is fully confident that in this moment that their feet are on the ground, that things are weird, that all of a sudden the parent still cares. And the parent has it all under control. Do you have that type of faith in God? Do you have that, that type of trust that you would say, hey God, that trial wasn't that bad, give me another one. But he says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to live by faith, trusting me, picking up this shield where you say, hey God, I, I, know, I know no matter what, I'm going to testify. I have such confidence in you, I will make public testimony by the way I live that I'm trusting the Lord. Well, the rest of the chapter talks about people doing that. It talks about an individual who is told to build an ark. He walked with God. He had fellowship with God. He was a believer. But God says, I want you to build the ark. The irony of the situation, they didn't have rain. There was no rain before that. It was the mist that watered the ground. And God says, I'm going to send a rain and it's going to flood. And Mo, uh, um, Noah, Noah didn't stop. I step back and say, I don't get it. You got to explain what's rain. What's going on? I'm building a boat. They've never seen a boat this size before. People mocked him, but why did he do it? He trusted God, and he's commended for trusting the Lord beyond his salvation. You have a story that Abraham shows up in the next few verses, that when God said, I want you to move, where do I go? Which direction? God, my GPS isn't working. I need to, need to recharge. What do I do? God said, don't worry about it. Just go until I tell you to stop. Could you imagine that move today? 
but he trusted the Lord. That, that's not that he was, a, he was an unbeliever. That's not an idea that he came to faith at that moment. He's talking about his trust in following the Lord. Oh, what a story. What a story. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to do the ultimate sacrifice. And we get all caught up with the idea of how could God ask that of him? Wait a minute. Abraham knew that God had already told him, told him years before when he is 15, 16-year-old lad, is this age, some, some 17, 18 years before, God said, you're going to have a son. You and Sarah are going to have this son. And this son is going to be the father of nations. Now he's got this, let's say, 15-year-old lad. He is ready to put him on the altar. What does he believe? What does he, what does he have confidence in? My son is going to have sons. And God said it. Therefore, if his life is forfeited, God must have to do what? He's got to raise him back up. That's why he says to the servant, we will go up to the top of the mount and we will come back down again. But in his mind, he's fully convinced, I'm ready to sacrifice my son. Because I believe, I trust God, that God will keep his word. Do you have that type of faith? Do you have a type of faith that does this, that all of a sudden, when God says, you need to leave the comfort of Egypt, you need to leave all of this benefit of this popularity, this gold and all this stuff, and you need to come and become the leader of the Hebrew nation and bring them out of slavery. Do you have enough faith that you would say, I'll do that. I will give up for the ministry of God. I will sacrifice that's how much I believe. I will give evidence by the way I'm going to live. Do you have enough faith that if God told you, if you were back in those days, let's go to battle against Jericho, and you get all ready, you got your arrows, you know, they're all, you know, got them all uh, whittled up, and you got your sword, and you're sharpening your sword, and me, I'm getting my bazooka ready, and my long-range weapons, and all of a sudden he says, okay, battle plan. Everybody, line up. And we all line up. And he says, today we're starting the battle. Yes! Let's go against him. What are we going to do? We're going to blow the trumpets and march. And we're just going to dance around the city for, for today. Okay. And then you come back the next day and what's the commander tell you? Do the same thing. And this is the battle plan? This is, you're, and we're going to do it for several days. And then on the last day we're going to go around it several times. And then what are we going to do? Then I'm, gonna, then I'm gonna let the nuclear weapon go. No, 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 you're not gonna do that. You're gonna blow the trumpets and watch the walls come a tumbling down. Do we have that kind of faith that we would listen to something that would make no sense? That people would mock? Do we have enough faith that we trust God that if God put us in a situation where we went out and gave a message to the king of the land and then we had to go and flee for our life and we're living out in the caves in the wilderness that we trust God to provide our food. That it's going to come. It's going to come by birds. That God's going to care for me. That God, and, and stay there, stay in the wilderness when I'm getting bird meat to eat, convinced that God still cares for me. That God is meeting my needs. And I will trust him, convinced that what he's giving me is best. Do we have the type of trust that says, I will do whatever? And by the way, I want you to understand that as you go through the book of, book of Hebrews, as this chapter, jump down further in the chapter. 
it wasn't that because they had faith, everything was peachy keen, that everything turned out right. Look at verse 36. Others had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in half, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens, caves of the earth. These all, having attained a good report through faith, they received not the promise. Having faith doesn't mean everything is, all your problems are going away. They may never go away, but you still trust. You still serve. You still say without hesitation, God is good. I will be faithful to him. Do you have that type of faith? Or do you get caught up with complaining about the way God is putting plans in your life? Do you all of a sudden struggle with God not providing everything you want? Or are you willing to say, God, I'm willing to live at the income you've given me. I'm willing to live by being faithful where you've placed me. God, I am willing to trust you no matter what. Even when the fiery attacks. Have you ever noticed this? Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But sometimes you're driving down a road and some thought comes out of the blue. Something evil, something horrible, something, you know, with anger to it. And you go, where in the world did that come from? It's one of those long-distance fiery darts. How do we respond in those moments? When all of a sudden we're attacked right in front of us, somebody is suggesting anger or bitterness or lack of trust. What do we do? What do we do? What he's talking about For every one of us in this room, he's already said husbands and wives and children and parents. He's already talked about employers and employees. You need to pick up the shield of faith. When the moments arise that all of a sudden say, you you are battling something, pick up the shield of faith. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you more than I've trusted you before. I'm going to trust you right now. And you shall quench these fiery darts. It's an assurance that he gives in this text. It is that idea that he says the victory that he talks about, that we sung about, it's through our faith, our trust in God. It is this idea that God said, I am your shield if you put your trust in me. Do you trust the Lord that much? Do you trust him enough when he can't be seen? Do you trust him enough that all of a sudden you're going to be honest at work And it may not be to your benefit before your boss, but you're going to be honest. Do you trust him enough that you say, hey, I know that some of my family won't like it, but I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to follow in baptism because I'm going to make a testimony of trust. I'm going to trust God a lot, enough that even if my family doesn't want me to live godly, I'm going to live godly. Even if my spouse doesn't want to follow the Lord, doesn't want to hear about the Lord, I'm going to do what 1 Peter 3 says. I'm going to live in such a way that I'm a testimony to them, that I'm trusting God day in and day out. I know that it's not popular to train kids the way that the the Bible talks about, corrective disciplines, etc., etc. I know it's not popular, but I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to follow the Word of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good testimony before my lost relatives. I'm not going to go down into the gutter where they're at just to make them happy or, or to please them. I want to stand apart and show that I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to trust God and not get so panicked in a time period where there's inflation that is crazy. And instead of getting so upset about it, I'm trusting the Lord. I, I'm, I'm going to trust that if there's trials... 
And I mentioned last week, we've got, a, we've got a boatload of trials for families in our church. What would you respond if you were at the Hershey Medical Center this week and if your loved one was there and they were saying these comments to you, we don't know if they'll make it, which some of our folk have gone through. How would you respond? Would you be angry with the Lord? Would you respond by saying, no matter what? I'm, we're going to do our very best, but we're going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to get behind the shield of faith. And God, I need you like I've never left you, never needed you before. And I'm going to remain loyal to you. God, I'm going to, I'm going to be behind this shield. Even when you change my plans, when things change that I didn't plan, that I didn't have in my schedule, God, I'm not going to fall for Satan's temptation of getting angry and upset and bitter. I'm going to trust you, God, to the point that, you know, I'm lonely. I don't have somebody that I'm dating. I don't have that special person. The world tells me that what I can do is I can drop my standards. There's plenty of people out there. There's unsaved people that they might even be interested in me or people that I don't know where they're at spiritually. God, I'm going to trust you. It's going to be hard as a single adult, but I'm going to trust you that your timing and your, your relationships, and I'm going to hold to your standards. I'm going to trust you at this point, Lord. I'm going to trust you even in the point that so-and-so, I have a relative who really hurt me. I have a coworker who's done me dirty. I've got a boss who's, who's ripped me off. You know, I've been tempted to just put things on Facebook or on media to really run them down and to let, let them have it or tell other employees or let the other workers know how terrible the, that person is. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to pray about it and keep my mouth shut. God, here, here's what I have. I want to live for you, but my classmates, my coworkers, they make fun of Christianity. They mock if I don't cuss. They don't, if I don't tell the jokes, they, they criticize. And I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be without friends. But I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you that even at this moment, I'm, I'm going to be a testimony for you. And I'm going to let you provide for that need of my life. Lord, the government really bugs me. They really upset how they handled things and how they do things and how they make a mess of things. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not trusting in Washington, D.C. anymore. I'm not trusting in the party out of power or the party in power. I'm trusting in you to take care of things. And in this trust, I'm going to exercise caution with my mouth, with my speech, with obedience and respect to the government like you told me to. I may not like what they do, but I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to be a citizen that has a testimony of trusting in Christ. I'm going to do this, God. I'm going to be sexually pure. I, I know this is your design. Marriage is designed for a relationship. And so, God, I'm going I'm to keep just with what, with what you've provided in marriage, or I'm going to wait until marriage. And I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to live in such a way that, God, I know that there's all different types of opinions right now about marriage, about whose family, who, what gender people are. 
And there's a lot of focus on who's, who can get married in God. I know that the position we take, and I know this is true for us, I know we're going to be in trouble in the days ahead. We trust in the Lord. We hold to the principles of the Word of God. A man is a man, a woman is a woman. Marriage is for one man and one woman alone. And we trust God. Will we be in trouble for that? That's okay. We trust God. We trust God enough that we say, God, bills are high, inflation is crazy, but I'm still giving to you faithfully. I'm trusting you. We trust God that says we have lost loved ones and friends that need to hear the word of God. They don't want it. They don't like it, but God, I'm going to give them the word of God. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to trust you to work. Are you living behind the shield of faith? Or do you walk out of here and you leave it right here? You leave all your Bible truth, all your Bible principles on the pew and you pick them up next Sunday. Do you live by trust? Can I give you this last word? To help you build trust, remember I said that in these shields they were designed that they could do what? They could connect to others and they could form a wall together. You do yourself disservice by disconnecting from fellowship with the body of Christ. By being away from other Christians limiting your exposure to the Word of God, you are hurting yourself. To live by trust, we need one another. We need to act like the tortoise at times. We need to work together. We need to rally behind one another. When somebody is falling, we need to gather around them and help them up and protect them in the meantime. We need to be a team. You all know about this. Y'all know you're going you're gonna to be seeing them in a few weeks. They're going to be flying south. You're going to hear the honking of the geese. And you know why they fly in the V, yes? Okay, what's the benefit? The wind drag, the pressure is 71% decreased by when they're in this V formation. And the leader, when he gets tired, goes towards the back and gets refreshed. And they're all honking from behind. Why are they honking from behind? It's encouragement. I don't think when we're honking from behind, it's the same thing. But from a spiritual point of view, should we be honking to one another? Should we be building up one another? Should we be encouraging? Go by faith. Keep walking with the Lord. Trust the Lord. Come on, we're right with you. Trust in the Lord with all your might and lean on unto your own understandings. And the Lord says, you will quench the fiery darts. Trust. Trust. Get behind the, field, the shield of faith. There's a song that we sing that's just a testimony about how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. It's easy to sing. It's hard to live. But as we close this day, let's sing it to the Lord with our desire, with our heart, that we want to trust in Jesus more and more this week that the Lord would help us through whatever trial and troubles we have.